All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelphians? What the fucktonians? Is that what you call what the fuckers from Boston or what the fuckers? I don't know, but here we are. I don't know what to call the uh, the what the fuck DCers. I'm doing those because I started my tour. Oh, by the way, I'm Mark Marin. This is my show, WTF. Welcome. Welcome to it. I know my voice doesn't sound great. That's because I've only been a performer live on stage for probably more than half my life, but I don't always use my voice properly. And I have a microphone. So how fucked up is it? Is it is that that after my second show at the uh, at the Wilbur in Boston, uh, I decide to go off mic a couple times and do some uh, straight up theater work? And perhaps I didn't come from the diaphragm. Perhaps I came right from this place. How about this place instead of this place? Right? Why don't I come from the place that I come from when I'm sitting on this mic? So, or it could be the the woman that gave me a hug and then afterwards said, I have laryngitis. Could have been that. Don't know. Hope not. Got shit to do. Got shows to do this week. But I do want to thank the people of Washington, D.C. for making the first night of the tour fucking unbelievable at the Warner Theater. Just fucking spectacular. And, you know, I make myself crazy before this shit. Because a lot of you came out, you saw the workshop shows at the Trippany House. I was going in, you know, through that hour. I was doing that hour. And then there was like two and a half months there, or two months, however long it was, where I didn't do the hour. And I had to get back into the hour. So I went to Rochester. Uh, and that was amazing. The comedy club. That that kicked it all into gear in real time. And I did a couple other warm-up shows at the Trippany. So by the time I got to D.C., uh, whether or not I was being consistent with the hour that I had prepared, I was certainly engaged in the relationship between me and a comedy audience, my comedy audience. And it was fucking great, man. All the shows were great. The DC Warner Theater was amazing. The Warner Theater was great. Philly, great fucking city. Two shows at the Trocadero, which is a great venue. Something something strangely magical, uh, not only about Philadelphia, but about that venue. There's some history there. There's some ghosts in that place, and it's uh, and you can feel it. It's It's well-worn in. And then last night at the Wilbur in Boston, it's spectacular. It was great going back to Boston. Some interesting things happened over the course. Ashley Barnhill's doing a great job opening the show for me. Um, and it's funny because uh, you know, I'm traveling with Ash, uh, and she's helping me out with some other stuff. I'm selling posters and shit, and she's killing opening the show but like i know all these cities and some of those uh, the cities she you know she's never been to and i don't you know i may be relatively smart uh yeah i don't think i'm an intellectual in any way and i'm certainly no fucking historian i will tell you that right now i have no capacity for maintaining uh or 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 having just really having history in my head i'm not even going to say i even learned it but we're going to historical cities and i'm like why don't we let's you want me to show you you know maybe i'll show you some stuff like, I've been to these cities. I'll show you some stuff. And it's such a limited, embarrassing bit of uh, of old man dumbness. You know, just like, you know, going to the mall in D.C. Like, that's uh, that's the Washington Monument. And, and if you look at the top, there's um, it's like a pyramid on top of it. It's an obelisk. And uh, a, that was built a while ago. And the, um, the, that's the Capitol over there. And there's the... Uh, Lincoln, Lincoln's in there. That's you can see. That's Lincoln in there in the in the memorial, the White House. Whew! I'm hungry. I'm ready to eat. Ready to eat something. Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff went down here. They uh, 
They signed the thing. They signed one of the things here. Um, that bell's here, the Liberty Bell. It's broken. It's cracked. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if vandals. I don't know what happened to it, but it's it's been cracked a long time because it's cracked in most of the pictures that you see of it. Oh, do you want to get a sandwich? Boston, yeah, that's the uh, the the Boston Tea Party happened there, right there. They're the boats. Did you see them? Uh, yeah, it's a pretty quick ride from the airport. Yeah, there's the State House, the Boston Common. This is the Boston Common, the one, and that's the State House. It's all uh, it's gold on top. Some stuff went down there in this area. These very old uh, homes. And, uh, oh, that's where Cheers is based on. The bar that Cheers is based on. You, you want to get something to eat? That's what it's like. Interesting thing happened in, um, in Cambridge. I was invited to the Harvard Lampoon to be uh, initiated. I am now a sir- in the Harvard Lampoon, I'm a, a, I don't know what you call it, an honorary member. They invited me, the uh, the members of the Harvard Lampoon invited me to to be hazed and initiated into uh, into their organization. And, you know, I, I know it doesn't sound like much, but I, I was pretty honored uh, in a way because I've always had this weird thing in my head about Harvard. Those of you who, who have listened to me interview people who went to Harvard and can feel my resentment towards those who have gone to Harvard. So to be asked to, uh, to to be part of it was good, and I got a little ribbon and a little medallion thing for the Harvard Lampoon, and I, uh, I'm sworn to an oath of secrecy not to reveal the initiation process, which was uh, arduous and taxing and, and completely frightening. I thought, I thought it would be much funnier than it was, but uh, you know, I feared for my life at a couple of moments, and, uh, and uh, it didn't look like I was going to get in, and, and I didn't expect that. And on top of that, these are all 20-year-olds. You know, who go to Harvard and and ninety nine percent of the ones that I met have more confidence and focus than I have now. That's what they produce here. I don't know if they if they the 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 kids have it going in or it's or it's what they do to to people. There's just this strange uh, uh, self assuredness, and I guess uh, I, I, maybe you could call it entitlement. Maybe a lot of those kids are wealthy. Maybe they're their uh, legacies, doesn't matter. They exude a confidence that does not seem falsified that I find completely annoying. And, uh, and I, did, I did experience some waves of resentment uh, even in this, this process where you know, they're doing this nice thing for me. But I was like, you fucking Harvard people. But, uh, but I've got the medal. And I've got the scars from the initiation, from the hazing. And uh, it's good to know that, you know, if, if shit goes down, that I have something to hawk. Did I mention Henry Winkler is on the show today? The Fonz? Did I mention that? The Fonz is here. Now, I'm old enough to remember when the Fonz was happening. It happened in my lifetime at an age where I was impressionable, and I loved the Fonz, and I had a Fonz t-shirt, and I got a leather jacket uh, that I borrowed to dress up as the Fonz-ish kind of character once for a Halloween thing when I was in elementary school. So, so being with the Fonz was not nothing for me. Outside of producing and acting and, and, and always working, Henry Winkler is on uh, All Hail King Julian, which is on Netflix, and he's published the latest book in his best-selling Here's Hank series. A lot of books. He gave me a lot of them. I have no children. I sent them to Brendan, who has a child, and now uh, that child uh, will have 
uh, books throughout a good part of his life because they go for all, you know all ages up until uh, about I think eleven or twelve. I don't know, but uh, but get your kids some Fonzie stuff. I mean, by all means, we'll talk to him in a second. Pow! I just shit my pants. Look out. JustCoffee.coop has a new look, and they also have a special promotion for April. Free shipping anywhere in the U.S., no minimum order. That's JustCoffee.coop. Get the WTF blend. Old-style promo with my oldest, oldest and most loyal uh, advertisers. They were, they were there from the beginning. No, look, it doesn't matter. Let's talk about something truly important, aside from the fact that I'm a sir- at the Harvard Lampoon. Again, don't get the wrong idea. I'm not going to be any different. Not going to be any different. I don't even know what it entitles me to. I don't know. Can I go over there and just ring the bell now and, and show my medallion and go inside and sit at the table? I don't and Can I write for the magazine? I don't know what it means. I do not know what it means. But I do know that it happened. So look, folks, I have some... Um, Pretty big and very exciting news that I do not want to uh, to just slip by because so many of you were so essential in, in facilitating this. Uh, and I know a lot of you may have been wondering, you know, what happened with that? Because about a year ago, or I don't know when it started, but there was a terror just ripping through the podcast community when this personal audio uh, company, they were called the Personal Audio LLC, uh, had a patent that they claim was a podcasting patent, that they had patented podcasting. Uh, several people were sued, including Adam Carolla, which I think you knew about. Many of us received uh, mildly coercive letters uh, asking for licensing fees. Uh, but it was it was completely traumatic, anxiety-inducing, terrifying that somebody could just out of nowhere uh, uh, claim to have a patent that covered podcasting, then demand money. It was a shakedown on all levels. You know, Adam was in the in the hot seat by being an actually sued, but we all risked the threat of being sued. And there was a lot of activity. I talked about it a lot. We all got a very quick and uh, and uh, and very intimidating education. Uh, uh, about the reality of patent trolls. And this was a patent troll. So ultimately, over the course of, of, of the terror, you know, many of us podcasters met. We met with a guy who uh, was, a po- was a patent troll buster that would have cost us millions of dollars. Yeah, you know, he told us strategy. He told us this and that. But m- many of us didn't know what to do. We didn't have legal representation. We couldn't afford legal representation. But it threatened our livelihoods. And it also threatened the future of podcasting. Whether you people believe that or not, it was a true thing. So ultimately, what ended up happening is, you know, we got the EFF involved. We told them about it, and they're a grassroots organization, non-for-profit, uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, defending your rights in the digital world, and we we hip them to our struggle. Uh, they were very clear about, uh, you know, not being able to represent podcasters, but they they took it seriously. It was in their wheelhouse, and then uh, I reached out. I reached out to you people, and many other podcasters reached out uh, when the uh, EFF filed a re-exam. They needed money to file a re-examination at the patent office of this patent. Uh, They needed prior art, which is essentially proving that this patent was not the invention that they claim it was. I can feel my voice changing again talking about it. So when I reached out and I asked for money 
and several other people did. You guys stepped up and you funded this reexamination and then some. You know, within 24 hours, they had the money they needed to reexam. And then after that, it all went into to, to further action in this very important area that the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, you know, does their work. And also, I, I want to point out that it looks like a guy named Jeff Haynes uh, was the first guy to find the things they used to prove prior art. And he found them because he's a listener. And we had asked people to go look for prior art. And thank you. Thank you, Jeff. You were key, man. Uh, WTF listener. Look, we were all, it was a group effort. And then when Adam was in trouble and he chose to fight the good fight and stay in the saddle and take them on in court, you guys sent him money. Eventually, they, they, they wrote a letter saying they'd lay off us, but the, the re-exam was still underway. And the jury's in. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office invalidated key claims in the so-called podcasting patent uh, after a petition for review from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, a decision that significantly curtails the ability of a patent troll to threaten podcasters big and small. That's from the press release from the EFF. You can go read that uh, if you go to, uh, to EFF.org. Uh, it, it's a big deal, man, because now the patent is useless. Even though they said they'd lay off, this was what really needed to happen. Some people were critical that, you know, some people said, like, Adam should have stayed in it, but he didn't have the money, man. None of us had the money. It was a complete shakedown, and then the litigation costs were f- phenomenal. That's how they get you. But this is a, this is a small victory in, in a very big problem, and it's our victory. And, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And again, we should all feel very, you know, proud because there are a lot of people out there who, who love podcasts, a lot of podcasters, and a lot of people in you know the pro bono legal work over at Harvard, actually, the uh, cyber law clinic at Harvard's Berkman Center uh, for Internet and Society. Uh, they, they crafted the petition for review for the patent office and uh, a lot of pro bono uh, attorneys working. Just, it's just a spectacular, righteous victory that you are all part of. And again, thank you. All podcasters, thank you. Even the ones that didn't take this seriously. You want to talk to Henry Winkler? Let's talk to Henry. Let's talk to the Fonz. Oh, I get to also work out. If you can, you know, that's a hard one. It is. Right? I don't it know. It is. I put all kinds of stuff over there just in case people want to fidget. They get Thank nervous. You. Yes. Don't I, hammer. I no build. hammering. No hammering, but I could build. Sure. You could build and work out your hands. I'm working out with this uh, is it, squeezer. Is it a knife here that you could hurt me with or yourself No, that with? I won't do. Okay. Fine. No hurting. Uh, you know, you're coming over. Yes. Henry Winkler. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say your name. Go ahead. For some reason I remembered the uh, the Lords of Flatbush commercial. The Lords of Flatbush. I remember the commercial. The Lords of Flatbush is a movie da, 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 about how life was in the 50s. Isn't that right? great? Because you know I don't what mean I don't boast, do? but you'll dig it the most. The Lords of Flatbush, 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 It's rated PG. I don't remember that at all. I Why? remember making the movie. I remember meeting Sly Stallone. Uh-huh. I remember not getting paid. <laughs> you didn't get paid? We got paid $2,000 for a, uh, 12 months' worth. Who shot that movie? Because I was getting it confused in my mind with- Marty uh, Davidson directed yeah. it. 
And uh, Steve Verona and Marty Davidson produced it, and maybe Steve wrote it. Uh huh. And Sly wrote additional material. I remember that. I remember, I don't remember that because I, I was that was seventy four, so I was eleven. Right. But I ended up seeing the movie. Right. And I remember that one line was Stanley, the rubber band didn't work. Right. And I was a kid. Yeah. So I'm like, what do you, what? Like I learned something about right. something. You thought that was like a sexual thing. It was a sexual thing. Yeah. <laughs> but all I thought about was complete discomfort in the uh, in, in the, using a rubber band. Yeah, yeah, and and then later as you I cut I, off the blood, you don't do anything. You don't. There's no. Well, it, it might actually, you know, keep you going a little longer. You think? Maybe. I mean, I think that's the whole idea of a of a, a cock rubber band. Ring. No, but you know, in general. Oh, I am. We don't need to talk about this no. kind of stuff. I'm, you're you're uh, you know a, a grown man. Sure, I am. We don't need to be filthy. No. But was that a that wasn't your first acting job though? No, it was not my first acting job, but it was my first real big movie. Yeah. And it was the only time that my career intersected with uh, Richard Gere. <laughs> really? He was let go and I was hired. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you know him or you didn't I know him? I never met him. It just happened? It just happened. Oh, my God. So Richard Gere was going to be that guy. But you were you were sort of made to be that guy. Now, they, did Happy Days cast you because of that guy? No, that guy didn't come out till several months later. So no they one... used Happy Days to sort of launch it. I guess, yeah. I, I mean, you know, but um, I went to California Yeah. after we shot the last scene, which was the wedding scene right? at the end of the movie, right? which was like many months after we had finished the movie. Right. Got on a plane with uh, a Perry King, mm-hmm. American Airlines, mm-hmm. landed in California, and a week and a half, two weeks later, I got the Fonz. Oh my gosh. Did you see the thing that's very? But before that, you'd done a little TV. I did plays. I yeah. did a lot of commercials. Well, before we get to the Fonzo, I mean, you like where did you grow up? I grew up in Manhattan, West Side. So you're always a city kid. Always a city kid. In the in the sixties. In the sixties, I was born in forty five. So the fifties. Oh, 60s, so really the fifties. And I your... left seventy three. And what was your family like? What was it? They were very short Germans. German Jews? German Jews. The worst. Yeah. They, 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 you know, until I say you that br- as a Jew. No, but as, uh, when you bring them up, yeah. I remember I had them. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, uh, I feel I mourn that I did not have a relationship with them. Why didn't you? I don't understand. Because they were, they were very difficult human beings. Really? Yeah, they were. It was it a, 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 a an arrogance or a, a like because um, I don't I want to generalize but my mother dates a, a, a Jewish guy you know who's a, who's very proud to be a German Jew right and there was an there's arrogance to it right was that the kind well of look thing? at the uh, the CEO of Lufthansa yeah we know everything <laughs> there is nothing we don't know about our pilots except the fact that I. Forgot to tell you, we knew he was um, suicidal. But like your, I don't think. But he your parents is. were German. They were actual Germans. They, they spoke- were actually born in Berlin. My mother was born in Rotenburg auf dem Taube, a small town, a a, a medieval town uh-huh. where they make very tiny, beautifully painted, small wooden figurines. Not Hummel figures. Not no, the, the but wood. a different kind. The yes. wood ones. The wood. A lot of uh, bunnies. <laughs> 
I'm not kidding because we had a collection of them. Because <laughs> that's what she brought from home. That's not. She didn't bring them. No, you bought them, and they reminded we her them. home. Yeah. They, now, did they get out just under the wire? They got out just under the wire. My father was able to get a work visa to come to New York, but he knew didn't tell my mother yeah. that they were never going back again because it wasn't it wasn't looking good. No, his brother Vena, who I never met, yeah, stayed one extra day. When he was going to take a submarine, they were going to meet. They were, a group of them made a, were going to meet up with the submarine and get out of Germany. And he decided to stay Verna one extra day because his dinner jacket was going to be finished at the tailor, and he was going to take it with him. And that night they came and got him. Oh my God! Yeah, and that's a family story. That is a family story. Oh, it, you know, like sometimes. I mean, as I get older, I, I get more emotionally reactive to, to things and the idea of that. Yes. You know, it's something you grow up with as a, as a Jew, the knowledge of it. And, you know, obviously your parents' generation, I, I don't know of anybody right. uh, in my family that was lost in the Holocaust, right. but just to hear, like, they, they took him. They, they, they came in. And they took him. Yeah. yeah. It's horrendous. I never had real grandparents. I never had real aunt and uncles. Right. Uh, most of them were the Jewish community that came and were friends of my family, uh-huh. and they became my aunts and uncles. So you had a lot of people that didn't get out. I had a lot of people that didn't get out. Yeah. Ugh. All my grandparents, uh, four grandparents, um, uh, aunts, uncles. Uh, oh, know. my God. Yeah. So And that all happened while your parents were in America, so they knew. They yes. knew it, they were lost. They found out after the war where they went. I think somewhere in a, uh, a briefcase yeah. from Guatemala, Really? My father brought it back from Guatemala. Your father went to Guatemala? Well, he worked in the wood business. He wanted to buy, he sold and bought, he was the middleman in buying lumber Uh for um, gun stocks, railroad ties, uh, ship decks. He's a lumber middleman. He was a lumber middleman. Yeah. And somewhere he went into Guatemala because that's the mahogany came from South America. High end wood. High end. Oh, Oh, yeah. Very very classy wood. Came with a scarf. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A nice silk scarf. No. But uh, in somewhere in a um, in a briefcase from Guatemala of like lizard skin is some documentation of my uh, family at Auschwitz. Oh, my God. I have uh, papers with the swastikas and stuff. He found that stuff. He found it or kept it or got it. And uh, when they passed away uh, in the 90s, I uh, took it with me to California. That's a a, a disturbing document. I have outside our kitchen uh, a spider plant. You know how they they keep multiplying? Sure. Uh, and I have a cutting. I took a broader cutting from our windowsill in our apartment in New York City oh. that came out of Germany at Tante Erna's feet. She was uh, smuggled out in a uh, in a um, coffin, uh-huh. and everybody in New York got a cutting from this spider plant. This is your great aunt. This was uh, no, just one oh. of the women that oh, the my parents around. knew. Oh. And that was an aunt. So it came from Germany. It came spider. from Germany when she was smuggled out. It was we. I grew up with this spider plant reproducing on our yeah. a windowsill. Yeah. I took a cutting, and I now have this gigantic plant outside of my kitchen that came out of Germany in the coffin with Tante Anna. That is uh, amazing. Yeah, 
I, I looked at it the other day. You know, I water it every day. It's been there. Now I've been in California since 1974. I actually moved here for And this is the same real. one. Same one. And I brought it with me. And so it's been with me. Now one of your kids has to take a piece. You know what? It just came to me maybe two days ago as I was walking by it. I have to cut off one of the babies at the yeah. end of these long shoots. Sure. And um, put them in pots for uh, Jed, Zoe, and Max. That's a great story. It's touching. There's poetry to it. Do you, do you think about that often? Obviously, I don't. two days ago, you thought about it for whatever I did. reason. But well, look, my son, Max, said I should be on this podcast. And several days later, no more than five, I got an email that I was invited to come, and that's why I got here so quickly, because I thought, oh, this is kismet. <laughs> I'm supposed to be in this chair. You are. In your garage. Um, soundproof uh, garage. <laughs> Kinda. There's not a car you're, in sight. Yes, yeah, you're supposed to. Many have... guitars. You play the guitar? I do. You do? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a garage guitar player. Do you jam with, or you play it by yourself? I play by myself, generally. Occasionally, I jam with, but it's been sort of my uh, uh, reprieve, my meditation for years. Wow. So like I can sit down and, and play with records or by myself. And, and then you- Get out of myself relax, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk to you, and I'm, and I'm glad we can make it happen. I, I don't know what happened with Uber. Uh, well, the first guy just that was sent- no, Well, no, first of all, let me just say- Yeah. I would have driven here by myself. Now, I am, and everybody knows because I say it, you know, ad nauseum, I am learning challenge. Yeah. So driving yeah. a long distance to a place I haven't been is a challenge. Right. Okay. I How need oxygen. Mean? I need food. <laughs> I need a sleeping bag. Because <laughs> you never know. Yeah, yeah, you might have to. I could be on the road for days before I got here to this <laughs> microphone. So, so even with one Uber It's not even a up. joke. Isn't yeah. that sad? Well, how does, a, but how does your learning disability manifest itself on, on something like that? What, what, what is the, what do you have? Okay. I I have the the umbrella is dyslexia. Okay. And you know I can't spell. Uh-huh. Can't do math. Yeah. And I, can, I, I will pass my house that I've lived in for 15 years mm -hmm. in the dark mm -hmm. in the night. Yeah. That I know. I know where the driveway is. Yeah. I will pass my house um more times than not, uh -huh. because the visual cues are not right. So driving here, turning uh, to go three points of a mile, uh -huh. then you turn left. It's just the connections. Connections. Yeah. Yeah. And you've had that your whole life. Yes. And I have that. I get so nervous. I don't know what to do. Now, is this something you had in childhood? Is this something that went undiagnosed? No. And this was undiagnosed until I was 31. So you didn't have these... This, this experience. You must have had it when you were a kid. I had this experience. So how did your parents handle it? They uh, did not know and thought if I sat at my desk long enough, yeah. I would get whatever the subject was. And I wasn't getting it no matter how long I sat there. Because you had this problem. Yeah. And so they were like, what's go it's harder, study harder. Right. How many times do I have to show you how Ugh. to solve the same problem? Oh my God. There are parents today that, that are still saying the same thing to their children. I was interviewed by a young girl, 17 years old, uh -huh. two years ago for a high school project. I graduated high school in 63. 1963, 2012. And I'm telling you, the stories that she told me, her experience that she explained to me, yeah. did not change one iota yeah. from my experience all of those 
years ago in 1963. Right. right. In 1958. Because the parents, in, they don't know. The parents don't know. And the, the way the mind works, the uh, learning challenge, one out of five children, uh, is the same mm-hmm. experience for most people that understand it, that have it. So, do you think that caused some of the whatever your your the the thing you were talking about initially, the tension with your parents or the detachment, the uh, the not understanding? Yeah. No, well, they also were they were strict beyond repair. The German thing. There were they were strict in where it was no longer making any sense. Oh, really? Yeah. You have brothers and sisters. I have a sister uh-huh. who had said to me, "We must have grown up in the different." apartment yeah because i don't have that experience really but maybe they treat boys differently than girls but i made a choice i'm i spoke to myself every day i'd be a different parent Mm -hmm. that my children could say whatever was on their mind as long as they didn't make me weep (laughs) maybe once or twice i wept yeah but for the most part yeah and you did it and I listened, and they were able to change policy in my house because, uh, you know, um, uh, Max, the youngest, yeah. is a director, yeah. a film director, and he would stand up, push his seat in yeah. at the dinner table, say, don't say anything till I'm done, and then go through five or six things he thought were unjust, needed changing, needed things, uh, needed to be looked at. Some of them I just couldn't do um, because I was a parent. Yeah. Uh, some of them I said I'm going to take under advisement. Some of them we changed right then and there. Uh, the policy was changed immediately because he made sense and I didn't know what I was thinking when I came up with the rule. <laughs> this is, is this how every dinner was? No. <laughs> this was not. Uh, you know, but my Because that sounds pretty children... strict in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I, they were... The format. They, they were, uh, they felt open enough to say what yeah. was on their mind. Right, right. Yeah. And all, all three of them, all three of them, Jed, Zoe, and Max, could say, yeah. um, and if they made sense, then things were changed immediately. So, so when did you start acting? In my mind? Yeah. When right, I was what? old enough to reason. Yeah. I wanted to be an actor what made you want to? Wait, who did you see? I don't know. You don't. You're no. just sort of Spencer like, Tracy. I love. Oh, he was so good. Because oh my Spencer God. Tracy and Anthony Hopkins and, um, uh, the, you know the, these incredible actors had. There was no space between who they were, and what they were able to communicate on a screen or a uh-huh. stage or a. Yeah, I just watched Spencer Tracy in something recently. Older Spencer Tracy. Yeah. He's um, probably one of the best actors ever. Unbelievable. Really? And you, Unbelievable. And you probably saw some of those movies when you were a kid when they really happened. Like when they came out. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did, yeah. It, it must have been thrilling. It was. And it, it uh, and then I knew I, I wanted to do it. But I, it, it's quite a journey to get to that place. I'm not there yet uh-huh. where they were. Oh, d- to get there as an actor now as an actor you feel that you don't feel like you're there no i absolutely don't and is it something you still aspire 1991 i took a turn in changing my approach to acting consciously consciously i've thought about it thought about it wanted it tried it scared to try it what was it specifically 
actually something I wrote down in my drama book when I first started drama school. Where'd you go? Uh, I went to the Yale School of Drama. First, I went to Emerson College in Boston. I know that college. Yeah. And uh, they accepted me. And then I, I went to Yale Drama School. That's a, that's a hard one. Well, you know, I, I didn't need academics to get in. I only needed to audition. But that's one of the best. It was. It's it's one of the best. No doubt about it. Were you it. there with Robert Klein or anybody? I was not. Who were you there I with? I was there with Jimmy Norton. Uh, Jill Eikenberry was in my class. Mm-hmm. And I just saw a play, um, You Can't Take It With You with James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. and one of the understudies was somebody in my class, Charles Turner. Isn't that something? And so what did you write in your drama book? Okay. Relaxation, concentration. I didn't understand about relaxing. I could not relax. I was so neurotic about being perfect that I, in, in my life, that I couldn't, I'll tell you something, See, I would do a play yeah. and I would sweat through the costume. Sure. And then I would have a, to change my shirt. Yeah. As soon as I started to relax and just concentrate on what I had to do, I stopped sweating as much. Sure. You know, you can get Honest. dress shields. You ever wear the dress shields? I did. Yeah. I wore them everywhere on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> on, on my temples but that, you know that's what happens that perfectionism thing is, is, a, uh, is a killer it's a killer but it, it makes sense you come from these strict parents yeah. that are like you know beating you down all the time and have yeah. these expectations you're going to internalize those I guess I guess that must be true and, I never put that together until right this minute except that I know perfectionism is um, uh, destructive beating the shit out of yourself is a killer absolutely yeah <laughs> There you go. Makes more sense that way. Yeah. No, but I. But Yale. That's a like. I don't. I learned a lot. Well, Emerson was always at art school, huh? No, no, no. Communication school. Okay. And it's still an unbelievable. Oh yeah. Small. um, uh, Liberal arts communication school. They have. They bought right in Boston. All right. One of the greatest experiences of my professional life. I was doing a movie in Boston called "Here Comes the Boom" Mm -hmm. with Kevin James having a great time and i went to emerson on three days off Mm -hmm. and taught three different master classes yeah never did it really before in acting i was in heaven one was a musical um theater class one was a shakespeare class and one was acting for the movies class and they would do scenes for me and I, i was high as a kite as if i had peyote it just was exciting and oh thrilling. Oh my rewarding. God. Because you have to concentrate. You have to think on your feet. You're trying to help these these kids feel something they've never felt before. You take them to another place if you can. It was thrilling. Why don't you do more of that? I Well, at the moment, I'm very fortunate. Uh, we start uh, Children's Hospital for the seventh year. Yeah, you're working. Then I fly to um, England because Mm -hmm. the books that uh, my partner and I write, Hank Zipser, Mm -hmm. The World's Greatest Underachiever, is a television show on the BBC. I get to play a part in that. And then maybe I'm going to do a brand new project starting in August, but I don't know yet, so I can't say. You've never been without work, Mr. Winkler. I am now knocking on the wood handle of the hammer that is in front of me. I mean, it's, it's astounding. I am astounded. Grateful. I am grateful. I live by two words, say this a lot, tenacity, gratitude. Tenacity gets you where you want to go. 
the gratitude doesn't allow you to be angry along the way mm. because it can be so difficult um, a job to get as an actor. It's, it's, uh, it, it is a, a difficult profession. Wow. But Yale... So how like Emerson? I know a lot of guys went to Emerson. I just had Paul Thomas Anderson. He went there for a year. No but kidding. He, yeah, for a year he went. The director. There. I heard yeah. that. I heard that. Yeah, uh, he interview. Went, he said that he went there for a year. No and kidding. Yeah, David Foster Wallace was his teacher. Wow. He because I guess he was there for a year, but it was. Uh, and that was way after me. Who else? Who was the older guy that I talked to that went to Emerson? It, Jay was, Leno went there. I think. No, um, older. Uh, oh, okay. Norman Lear yes. went there. Norman Lear. Norman Lear went there. Yes. So, okay, so you graduate Yale. So the idea is you're going to be a theater actor. Now, is, are your parents proud of your, cho- your chosen path? No. Now, they, they, were not, they were not proud of me, nor did they want me to be an actor. They wanted me to take over the family business, of course. My father brought it from Nazi Germany. He, he, he was a woodman in Germany? He, he worked in a firm that bought and sold wood, yes. So he was a like he left Germany like meeting submarines and getting smuggled out. They they have money. This was not you know they, they were not. He was a real my guy. father smuggled my my father's mother's jewelry hmm. out of Germany encased in a box of bonbons chocolate. He melted the chocolate down, poured it over the pieces of jewelry, put it under his arm so that when he went through the checkpoints, he said, "You can open my bags. I have nothing." And um, it was all in the, the and then he sold the jewelry to a pawn shop, had money in order to live in New York until he was able to buy back the jewelry. And on my bar mitzvah, my 13th birthday, I got my great grandfather's pocket watch that came out of Germany in chocolate. I love this. The, yeah. Between this and the plant, there's a real connection to it. Yeah. But you were not brought up religious, were you? We were very religious. We were um, conservative. We were not orthodox. Right. I was brought up conservative. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were brought up conservative uh, in New York City. Uh-huh. And um, I have fallen a little bit from there. But is it so, is, do you, do you, but is it, I mean, Judaism is hard to, to maintain the practice of. But culturally, you you, you culturally, I am proud of my yeah. heritage. Right, but as a spiritual, uh... spiritually, it is easier to be religious than it is to be practical. <laughs> Emily Dickinson, the great poet, mm-hmm. I think her church was her garden. Mm-hmm. She just spoke to God, sure, in you, her garden. However, you got to do it, right. But, uh, all right, so they don't love that you've chosen to be an actor. No, they do not. And you graduate Yale, and you you do well there. You do Shakespeare, you do all I do Shakespeare, movement. but I know that that is not my forte. So, you do sword fighting? I do, I'm a good sword fighter. I'm a good sword fighter good. and not a good um, uh, rhyme coupleter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't rhyme my I, Iambic pentameter is, is not my, my tongue is not friendly. With that. But it's not because of learning disability. Yeah, I think so. You do. I just didn't get, until on my honeymoon, I went to England. Yeah. And we went to the theater and we went to the Royal Vic, the old Vic, uh-huh. um, the, the Royal Shakespeare Company. We saw Shakespeare. Yeah. I never had heard people speak the lines of Shakespeare as if they were living it at the moment where they made it so accessible. And was it was it great? On my my teeth dropped. Yeah. And I realized at that moment I really 
will not be able to do this form. You realize at that moment, wow, you really got to be British to do this right. Or <laughs> another kind of actor. Right. Yeah. So you knew what? That you were going to do, uh, what, Odette's? Didn't know. Yeah, you didn't know. Didn't know. Didn't, didn't know. Just, I don't know why I, I just wanted... Odette's. I love Odette's. Odette's is great. Great. Odette's is great. Now, Odette's belonged to the um, group theater. Yep. And my teacher at Yale was a member of that group theater, the original Bobby group theater. Lewis. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That was There was a few people that come out of there. Yeah. Just, uh, the Method came out of the group theater, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Strasburg was in the group theater? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, Stella Adler yeah. was also my teacher. Really? Luther Adler, uh -huh. uh, who I acted with in a terrible Italian uh, mafia movie called Crazy Joe with... Jo <laughs> um, I'll think of his name in a minute. That wasn't Peter Boyle. That it was, was. It was. It was Peter Boyle. Okay. But he also was Joe. Yeah, he was Joe. So yeah, that was a hard. That was but a this scary was crazy, movie. Joe. This was not very good. Oh, so all right. So you leave. You get out of Yale and you come here. I got out of Yale, went to New York, did commercials, did plays for free at the Manhattan Theater Club. Uh huh. Uh, did a Broadway play that opened and closed in one night. Ah, um, you have to have that experience. Made the Lords of Flatbush. Yeah. Um, stayed alive. I says. I said by commercials. Love commercials. Was in New York. Stallone was in New York on Lexington Avenue in a walk-up apartment uh, with a mastiff bulldog and his wife, his first wife, Sasha. So you guys were friends. I knew that this guy was amazing. Yeah. And amazing. He talked like this, you know, his mouth was kind of like off to the side. Yeah. But he was brilliant. Yeah. And he was a writer and he was funny really genuinely dry witty funny not was he is so all right so you move you do commercials you do lords of flappers yes. and what makes you decide to come to los angeles john kimball was the agent in new york city for joan scott joan scott was my first agent mm -hmm. john kimball moved to california to open an office for joan scott and he said to me if you want to be known in New York, stay here. If you want to be known to the country, move to California. But I, as a very short, neurotic person who worried all the time, thought, I can't go to Hollywood. But I mean, I'm not like this tall, good-looking guy. Yeah. He said, I'm telling you, it took me weeks to convince myself. Yeah. Finish the Lords of Flatbush. Made money doing commercials for H&R Block Taxes and Schick Razor Blades. Saved my money. Got on a plane for one month. Two weeks later, I was cast in a pilot for a new show, Happy Days. Huh. Wow. And you didn't do any work on TV shows before that? No. Only commercials. Oh, I did the Mary Tyler Moore show. The Mary Tyler Moore show was the one week after arriving in California. A bit part. Bit part. Bit. I had four lines and they allowed me to add libit to eight. And you were with Mary or, or, or Ed Asner? Who oh, were we were in. Ed Asner was just my father on royal pains he was my first job i was right there with him um just your father recently you mean yeah yeah, yeah. recently he played my dad he's something isn't he he's something i shot something with him over here a pilot presentation yeah and uh still fiery wow yeah yeah so he was your first job and you just work with did he remember that oh yeah 
He's a, he's adorable. It's an adorable film. And now, okay, so you did that. And you I just know. saw him in the hallway of Salami Studios um, when I was recording a uh, an animation for yeah. uh, Netflix called uh, King Julian. Yeah, that's on. And he was down the hall. He was standing in the doorway recording something else. Yeah, and uh, we hugged. And and that was it. It was Mary Tyler Moore, and then and then Happy Days. Yeah. Then I, well, then I did the Bob Newhart show, the original Bob Newhart, the original show. With Bob, Bob with Bob, sweet guy, and uh, Suzanne. And you were what a patient, or what were you? I was a patient. I was a crook who was drawn back in. I just finished my jail time. Yeah. And I uh, was drawn back into the the robbery game. Mm-hmm. And then I did uh, the pilot for uh, Rhoda. You did? Mm-hmm. Those are great comedy shows. The three biggest shows. They were so loyal. That company, MTM, was yeah. so loyal. If you scored for them, yeah. they would have you back. So it was a company thing. That was Mary Tyler Moore's company, right? Mary Tyler Moore, and her, but her, her husband, husband, Grant Tinker, right. um, I think was yeah. the... And that was a big television production company. Yes. And all the great writers came out of there. Yeah. You know? Like who? Who did you uh, work with? Uh, 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 um, uh, Gary David Goldberg, I yeah. believe. Um, or, uh, Stephen Bochco. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there was... anyone else in show business in your family? Nobody. 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 Well, my son now, he's yeah. a director. My oldest son, Jed, uh, works for a production company. Uh-huh. My daughter is a teacher. But nobody in the other family, cousins, other? No. Nobody. No, you're not related to Erwin Winkler? I am not. Oh, okay. It's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried I tried to pretend I tried was. to find him on the I tried <laughs> yeah um, alright so you get the pilot the happy days yeah and and like and then you had no idea you would be I a, had six lines a national meme an icon six lines yeah and I well, just was going to make what were they okay uh, well one of them was hey Richie next time you deal with this you leave it to me alright I know girls, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, oh, um, hey, Patsy, let me teach you how to open a bra. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember the others. You know when you did that Obama commercial with the yes, and that was mind blowing. How all you guys, you and Ron Howard, who was well, Andy Ron, that was only Ron and Andy. Ron? Andy yeah. did it in uh, in North Carolina. I think he lived in North Carolina, and he was too old to travel, so he was there. But Ron called me up. He said, "Hey, I think we have to do something." would you be open to this? I said, okay, now, Ron, what is this? And let me just say, before you tell me, whatever you suggest, I'm saying yes. <laughs> yeah. And he said, would you play the fonts? And I went, that was not where I thought you were going. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to play Richie. We're sitting in the trailer. Mm. We're getting made up. We're talking about our children. I have three. He has four. He has three girls and a boy. Yeah. We're talking about the same problems. Doesn't matter who you are, what you do, where you live. Right. And we're just sitting there. They're putting on the wig. They're combing his hair. I'm putting on the white shirt. I'm putting on the wig. Yeah. And we are walking now to the set from the trailer to this 50s car, which is several hundred feet away. Uh-huh. And we're just walking. We're still talking. Credit cards, daughters. Yeah. Oh my God! They give you a. They promise you that, and then they don't. And then, I lean against the car, 
Ron walks around the car and it was, we shot back 40 years in a, in a millisecond. <laughs> wow. I, he walked around and said, hey, Richie, you do your homework. So what's this thing with this chick in uh, yeah. like, you know, moose, she shoots moose. And I don't know, something. I went, yeah. And then boom, we were in it. Like that. Like that. It's muscle memory, sense memory. Unbelievable. I mean, well, you guys did like 300 of those shows. 255. That's, how could it not just come, you know, like it was most, most of your life almost. It's true. I loved it so much. I mean, it was important to me. I mean, I was, so I was 74 to 84, right? Yeah. I went through junior, I was 11 or 12 yeah. when it started. So that's where you get it. I had a Fonzie shirt. Right. You know, I did the thing. Right. Hey, I did it, you yeah. know. And uh, and and then I was in high school. I mean, at some point I, I left. But now, where did you grow up? Albuquerque, New Mexico. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Breaking Bad country. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. So the Fonz was now. Was there ever a point where you're like, I got to detach from the Fonz? Well, I thought that I had to detach from the Fonz. It's a decade. What right? I didn't know. No, I didn't feel like I had to detach for the Fonz just to do it. I thought I didn't want to be typecast. What I didn't realize was. That comes with the territory. I I am typecast even today. Uh, it never with, goes away. It never ever goes away. Now I have wonderful jobs, so that's perfect. But I did a lot of talking when I was younger. You know, I'm not the Fonz. Uh, my name is Henry. I uh, you know I'm I'm different. And I really what I what I learned is that I just just should shut the hell up. <laughs> well, the weird thing was is I remember. You know, because I had a relationship with that show and you right. and the and, right. and the idea of it. My father was a real nostalgic for that time. So right. I, I, you know, the music and everything absolutely really resonated. Still with me. great, yeah. And uh, what music do you listen to now? Do you well, play? You uh, said you play records and you play your guitar. Well, too. today I listened to. I actually listened. I was playing some stuff for some some people who were over. I listened to the Rolling Stones yesterday. Right. Um, what I listen to, I listen to Velvet Underground. I listen to a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, and I, you know, I don't have any. I have some Buddy Holly. I have a Roy Orbison box. Ooh. I have, um, you know, some older uh, Motown stuff. I have some Wilson Pickett stuff. I, I wrote love letters to um, Roy Orbison. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. love letters. Yeah, <laughs> why to uh, to a girl named Jill? Oh oh two oh I thought yeah. you were writing love letters to Roy Orbison. No no no. Oh uh, when oh no no I didn't write them to him. <laughs> I wrote uh, along with as he sang. Yeah right right. On my right I get it yeah record it's machine. Heart, heart, he's uh, beautiful oh, yeah. No voice like him ever yeah, again. Yeah these records sound beautiful. But I remember what I was going to say is I remember the big thing was that like you know Henry Winkler is it has written and and directed heroes no 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 only acted oh just uh, acted, uh jeremy kagan directed it right but, with sally field okay wanted um first met uh meryl streep but because she had no name at the time yeah universal would not hire her but i knew when i was in the room with her that i was in the presence of greatness so they'd already cast you they, I was cast. We were now looking for the girl. And then we were lucky enough to find um, Sally Field. See, like, I remember it because, like, I'm sorry I got it wrong in the writing and direction. Okay. Business, but But I remember it because it's like, the Fonz is, this is over. Right. And, you know, he's doing this thing now. And right. you were a Vietnam vet. I remember right. going to see That's the exactly movie. exactly right, with Harrison Ford, who had just finished Star Wars in England. So what year was that? 70, 77. Yeah. 
And that was a big like like I think for all of us were like, all right, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to see Henry Winkler in this new way. And did you feel good about that? I felt good about it, and then that's one of the jobs after the Fonz was a complete character. I would change my voice, yeah, change my body, yeah, was able to do that. Heroes, when I saw it, I realized I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. I got a long way to go. So you didn't feel good about the performance? No. Then I did a, an, another movie that year called The One and Only yeah. about uh, Gorgeous George, about wrestling. I can't remember that. Mm-hmm. It, did you play Gorgeous George? I did. I remember, with the wig. Yeah. And yeah. how'd you feel about that one? <sighs> oh, no. Yeah, I was just like, Carl Reiner directed it. I felt good about that. He's great. Yeah. But, but you, you seem like you're very hard on yourself. So you, I you, might be, but I think I'm also right. Uh huh. Yeah. In this in this area. So I'm you like, felt you felt like you were out of your league, or you you didn't. I know. I felt like I was not. I was not whole. Mm-hmm. I was pushing. Mm-hmm. I was acting too much. Mm-hmm. I was acting too hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so you hadn't I hadn't done the relaxation. Not yet. Uh huh. That would come. That was seventy seven. The relaxation. I tasted it. Re- for the first time, ninety one. Mm-hmm. Took me that long. Well, so Can I? Do you know music? Do you know about music? Bit. So here's my question. Yeah. I, I, this is completely. I just, but I'm. Uh, it's on my mind. So I, I'm. I listen to Sia now. Yeah. Okay. She's unbelievable. Yeah. But there is a very similar sound to Adele. Mm-hmm. It seems Sia has been around a long time, and I wondered if anybody knows who influenced who. Oh, I don't. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, okay, I have to. Let's I, move on. I have to check with somebody. Okay, good. Um, I think my buddy manages Sia. <gasps> we tell your buddy to s- tell Sia. I send my deepest respect and regards. I will do that because that is a singer that is like in another stratosphere. I, she touches me. I mean, okay. it, it just jumps into my body. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So, well, I think like a lot of times, it seems to me what, what you're talking about, and I think what I experience in my own life is that sometimes it takes a long time to accept yourself. Yes, to, yes. You know, uh, I used this metaphor for somebody else for a long time, and then I realized that it was true for me. I was like a muffin Mm-hmm. That you stick a toothpick in when you're baking the muffin, yeah. to see if it's done. Yeah, I wasn't done for a very long time. Yeah, right. But you know, you kept working. I did. I worked toward being done. You did a lot of television, but at some point, you, was the move to start producing because you were well, the, the move to produce. Yeah, was because there was a everything comes because there was a lull in my acting career. Okay. And so my lawyer at the time, Skip Brittenham the yeah. third, yeah, said, Oh, I'm going to create a production company for you uh-huh. in the last year of Happy Days. And I said, I have no idea how to do that. That's something that a lot of actors do. They they they're set up they set up a production. That's company. right. Yeah. And out of that production company, I had several partners that were non-starters. Right. And then I was partnered with a guy named John Rich, mm-hmm. who Skip knew. And we sold two pilots, one with Jeff Tambor about a blind English professor, we only did 13, called Mr. Sunshine. 
very funny show. He's great. Yeah, but very funny show. And the other was MacGyver. Huge show. Seven years. Then I partnered up with a woman named Ann Daniels, who was a vice president at ABC, who I sold MacGyver to. Right. She left ABC, became the head of my company. Uh-huh. We sold sightings. Yeah. I don't did know seven one. years of that. All things paranormal. Oh, yeah. Sure. We did seven years of that show. So, and you were active, hands-on? Active every single day. And, hands-on. And you loved it. I did not love it. No. It's my least favorite job <laughs> ever in my life. I, I'm not kidding. Cleaning a barn is easier than producing. Uh-huh. Producing is like holding sand in your arms. Yeah. The, you never stop the drip of a problem. Because once you said it's during lulls. So like during lulls, you get these things going, but then they're going. And maybe the lull's over. Well, the lull is longer you... than than you can imagine. It was. It was a long lull. You did, yeah. Oh, I got a hammock out. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, I had plenty of time to just swing in the breeze. <laughs> yeah. That's, when did that happen? Oh, my God. That was from 74... 84, yeah. 84, yeah. until 91, and then then I started directing, but I never, you know, my directing career is like starting a lawnmower, uh-huh. you know, that it, before you push the button, you pull that, that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you pull that line, my, my mower never started. <laughs> I directed um, a feature film. Yeah. I directed 13 days of another feature film. Yeah. I directed some television episodes. Yeah. I directed some commercials. Yeah. And then I never I that that never got off the ground. And it, but that was something you wanted. I like that job second. My favorite job is acting. Yeah. My second favorite job is directing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm most proud of is um being a writer of these books with my partner, Lynn Oliver. Which was the most lucrative job? Oh, okay. Which was the most lucrative I have to job? assume it was producing. No. Acting on Happy Days. Yeah. Uh, because um, Skip, the, my lawyer, yeah. made a wonderful deal. Yeah. Eventually yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, producing, I'll tell you what was lucrative also. Produ- I produced with uh, Michael Levitt two years of um, Hollywood Squares. Mm-hmm. The last two years of its life. And that was the newer version, the new version Uh after um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was the the center square for a long time. Yeah. And then uh, when they changed regimes, um, I was brought in with Michael Levitt. Okay. And uh, that was lucrative. Who was the center square when you were there? Well, uh, we had um, Simon. We had Ellen. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Brad Garrett. We had a lot Caroline of- Ray? Huh? Caroline Ray? Caroline Ray was a square. Yeah. But not at the center square. Right. And then eventually, Martin Mull, the second year we did it, we yeah. realized we don't need to have like a major, major person. Yeah. Martin Mull is so funny. Yeah. And such a great writer. Yeah. That he became uh, the center square for the entire year, and that you made some good money on that. Yes, and also like I forget, I, I always forget. Like you're, you know, Happy Days is you know created the jumping the shark. 
Right? Yes, a guy named John yeah. uh, Aheim uh-huh. uh, was sitting in his dorm uh-huh. with his friend, yeah. and they came up with Jumping the Shark. And uh, God bless him. You know, it's America. He got a, a book, a board game, and now he does a radio show on Sirius Radio. And that's directly attached to the episode of Happy Days, right? It was directly attached to when the Fonz jumped the shark. <laughs> and the, I'm the only actor in the world who has jumped the shark twice. What was the other time? Uh, on uh, Arrested Development, they had me actually jump over a shark on a dock in one of the episodes. Oh, that's clever. And that, like, that must have been great to work with those guys, great huh? Great to work with. Great. But by that point, like, I have to assume that, you know, like, okay, so, okay, the produ- we talked about producing... So it was acting first with the Happy Days and the production with Hollywood Squares, you made some right. good bread. But then I, I would assume that once Arrested Development starts to happen, now you're on the Children's Hospital, now you, you're you're a cultural reference, but also you've grown to appreciate uh, you know, the fact that you're a cultural uh, treasure and reference and you're comfortable with yourself. Yes. And, and, and now you've you found your level of acting in a different way entirely. Like, you know, you, what you do on Arrested Development has nothing to do with Fonzie, but no. everything to do with Henry Winkler. Right. And um, everything to do with Mitch Hurwitz, who is like a, a real, real bona fide genius. Right. But also you are now able, despite what you said earlier, to, to you know, you as Henry Winkler, the person... Right. Who is who is now older and wiser is a lot closer to the surface as he yes. comes into role. He is yes, he is getting much much closer to the surface now. That's great. Yeah, so I'm, you, you, I'm meeting myself. I'm allowing myself to bubble up. That's great, yeah. and and Herwitz appreciates that. He knows how to, people know how to write for you now. Yeah, sweet. It's true. It is. It's very lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, all right. So this comes this. Uh, this this part of your life, this career of writing children's books, right. is something that it comes out of a, a, a very a real, lull. A, but a, not not a lull, but a real well, okay, a lull, another lull, another lull. <laughs> I had no idea and no passion and absolutely no thought that I, Henry Winkler, would ever write a book ever, ever, ever because of your learning disorder. Yeah, I just thought I, I don't I don't know what to write. I don't I can't write a book. That's crazy. So how the hell did this happen? Okay. Alan Berger, now an agent at CAA. Yeah. What was he said before? To me, he was a manager of mine for about 90 days before <laughs> Mike Ovitz's company imploded. I went for a <laughs> that, meeting. And that, was that the beginning of a lull? That was a lull. But the, I was in the <laughs> middle of a lull. It was an extension of a lull. <laughs> And they were taking off the the art off the wall, and I was having a meeting, and Alan suggested I write books about my learning challenges for children. Wow. And I said, no. And he said, like a month or two later, he said, I'm telling you, you should write books for kids. And- Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, and I dismissed it out of hand. And then he said, I'm gonna introduce you to Lynn Oliver who is my friend, who knows everything about children's books. And I said, okay. So we had lunch, and then we've written 28 novels together. But that's a hell of a manager. I dedicated one of the books to him for that very reason. The fact that he stuck to it. He decided you're the guy. He did. You know what? I never thought of that until now. And I tell the story all the time. He stuck to it. He said, no, I really believe that this is something you should do. That doesn't happen with... That's what a manager's supposed to do. Holy mackerel. 
<laughs> and then it's a very it, insightful. Then he went to and he became uh, an agent at another company. Mm-hmm. And um, still friends. Still friends. I talk at his class. He teaches a class at USC, um, and I, I speak at his class once a year. Are you friends with Harrison Ford? No. Hmm. Who no, are they? I, I I waved to him once. Yeah. Yeah. Since '77. Uh, who are the people that like? Because I'm always shocked by that. Like you know, I assume that all you guys, no, your friends. Do you know what? Mark, no one ever is. Mark, I'm telling you, no one ever is. Yeah. Ron Howard. Yeah. Uh, you know the cast of Happy Days. Uh, um, Gary Marshall. Yeah. Friends. Friends. Yeah. But otherwise, my very best friend is a, a psychiatrist. One is a composer. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Because you just go to work with, and these I think I, this is. I thought I just did a movie with you, so I'm going to call you after the movie's over. We're going to have dinner. Yeah, and that was in 1983. I called this person. Never. I'm still waiting for them to call me back. 2015. <laughs> she maybe should call again. Yeah. Well, this time I sent a carrier pigeon. <laughs> just don't call an Uber to pick him up. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, but this is fascinating. So this does. Like outside of it being uh, born out of a lull, yes, it is. It is. It has uh, now become a passion. It's a passion, but it's a gift. It comes from a real place. It's it a gift kids. to me, right? But it doesn't help. It's you it's know a what? Gift it, to the kid. It's a gift to the kids because we write comedy first. We figure like you know the way to a man's heart is food. Mm-hmm. The way to a kid's heart is comedy. Oh yeah. So we write funny first, and it happens to be about somebody who has a learning challenge could not sell these stories in america as a television show and this is uh this is um the, hank now zipper? here's yeah hank zipser zipser who was a woman who lived on the fourth floor of my apartment building now the when book you you're holding kid? right there yes the the zipser. book you're holding yes. right there fake snakes and weird wizards this here's is, hank here's hank that's second grade yeah brand new readers this is for kids who are just starting to read, and we use a font that has never been used before. This is a revolutionary font that it was developed by a dad in Holland. What makes it What makes it special? Well, open open I'm, I'm um, uh, the I'm open. Look, I'm looking at yeah yeah yeah. Book. But open another book. They um no two down, go two down. Yeah, that one. The no the next one. Open that and look at that. How to scare your pants off your pets. Now that is Ghost Buddy. There are four of those. These are young people novels. Yeah, these are are third, fourth, and fifth grade. Oh, yes. So you got to hold the thoughts. What am I I looking at? Okay, now look at the print. Now open one of the bottom books at the same time. And look at the difference in the font. Okay. Oh, yeah. You see the difference? It's that the font of Here's Hank makes reading friendly. Yeah, there's a little more space between the letters. They're a little- Thicker. Yeah, thicker, more defined. Right. Like they, you know, yeah, that's interesting. Isn't it? It's easier for your eye to negotiate the words across the page. It is. On a Here's Hank. How did someone devise that? Because his kids had trouble uh, reading. Do you get wonderful emails? Oh, my God. Letters from entire classes, whether they have learning challenges or not, uh-huh. who say, we laugh so hard our funny bone fell out of our body. <laughs> Isn't that a great compliment? But th- I imagine that this was something, you know, I, I just know this from doing the podcast. Uh, yeah. that it was not, this is more specific 
to you know clearly speaks to an issue uh whereas i don't really but you get these emails of gratitude yes where you know they're very you know they're very heartwarming and fulfilling and they make you feel like you've you've given something to the world sure. that is outside because of what you. do you do you are like opening a clam you're opening um, the the petals of a flower. Somebody sits in my chair. You talk to them. You're interested. You're a good listener. And you pry out of them a story. Yeah. And that story, my story, anybody's story, is exactly the story of somebody listening sure. at home. Yeah. And that gives you such relief, yeah. such calm yeah because you're hearing we're all the same i'm not alone oh my god he feels the way i do right she has the same thought she did it this way i'm gonna try that way right that's what you give right you give that yeah it's helpful yeah i would think so and you give these kids a font that can wrap their brains around and hopefully a comedy that makes them laugh and then their parents write and say I'm walking by the kid's room. My kid is laughing. Not only is he laughing, he's laughing reading, which he or she hated doing. Hmm. She's reading or he's reading her first book. Hmm. Oh, my God. Didn't know. Didn't know. That's that's sweet. Yeah. Wow. So that's rewarding. It's so rewarding. Do you see see yourself as an underachiever at this Mm -hmm. point still? Not anymore. Thank God. When did that go away? Um, yesterday. <laughs> no, but I, you know, I can't deny how wonderful my career is, how wonderful my work life is. Yeah. Can't deny it now, but I worry that it will be over in the next 10 minutes. Well, uh, you want to just stay here then? Sure. For 10 minutes? Sure. <laughs> what do I do? Can I help interview somebody? <laughs> Maybe. I don't have anyone else coming. You have a third microphone? You were it. Yeah, there's a microphone under there. Oh, yeah. Right. But you got a great family. What's your wife do? My wife is a, an unbelievable grandmother. She was uh, a champion for abused, abandoned, and um, neglected children in L.A. And then she went and worked when uh, Clinton was president. Uh-huh in Washington for uh, those children. Except, here's the sad thing. Really, we talk a lot about children in America, but they don't write checks, so you don't really do a lot for them. You just talk about them. Mm -hmm. But the real reason is because they don't make contributions. Which means? Which means that we talk about how important their future is, how important their education is, but we really don't lift a finger. Yeah, so nothing gets solved. Right. I was just talking about that today with um, a comedian friend of mine, Greg Proops, that you know the, the education system. If they if there isn't some context, there isn't some guidance, there isn't some sort of you know people that will engage these kids. It, it, it's just well, we we now teach toward a test. Do you know that the number of prison cells is negotiated by tests taken by third graders? What? Is that real? Mm-hmm. That's real. That's real. That's that's like one of the saddest things I've ever 50 heard. 57%, 57% of human beings or 62% somewhere in there of human beings incarcerated, mm. probably anywhere in the world, but in America and England, are 
in some way learning challenged. They fell through the cracks. It's a, I mean, of course, of endless horrendous. There. Yeah, and also there's psychopathic, a big prison uh, business system here. Right, it's big business. Mm-hmm. Like so, what do you do? I mean, it's so sad to you, me. What that- do you, here's what you do. This is what you do it one little kid at a time. Mm-hmm. Any child you meet, you tell them they're great. Okay. You tell them they are powerful. And that, because if you, when I travel and talk to children in classrooms, I ask one question. I say, anybody know what they're great at? Every single child in that room, anywhere in the world that I have gone, knows what they're great at. And that's where we should start in moving children toward being um, great adults on the earth. Beautiful. This is a beautiful way to end. Do you feel good? I feel so good. Yeah. I do. I'm a little worried because I have no idea how I'm getting home. And oh, uh, I don't know where to... Wait, hold on. I'm going to take care of it. Okay. But aside from that, I feel great. Did we miss anything? No, I don't think we missed anything. Good. We talked about a lot of different things. It was good. That's what you want to do. I think that's the best Did way. you feel good? I do feel good. Okay. Thanks, Henry. Now, what do you do? Do you, um, do you edit it? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, yeah. But I have my producer do it. Right oh. now, I think I should turn off the thing. Are okay. You, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Now, Fonz is a sweet, sweet man. What a guy. Great guy. Love talking to him. Love meeting him. Uh, very uh, humble dude. Good guy. It's it's really interesting. Like you know, I mean, he is you know in a lot of our minds, he's you know he's the Fonz and he's there and he's there forever. He's there in our minds forever, forever. It's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. So uh, go to wtfpod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. The calendar, check the tour dates. I'm gonna play some guitar. I got the uh, Telecaster hooked up to a classic uh, Ibanez tube screamer. Uh, Earthquake or Grand Orbiter coming at you.